This is And Another Thing with your hosts, Jody Jenkins and Tony Clement. Welcome back to the world's greatest podcast. I'm Jody Jenkins. And I'm Tony Clement, and uh, we are self-declared. Self-declared, amazing guys who own the podcast space. And let this be an open challenge to anyone in the world of podcasts. If you want to throw down with two of the best... We'll take on your challenge That's right. anytime. That's right. Any day We're of the week. We're ready, baby. Any day of the week except Thursdays, Fridays, <laughs> Saturdays, and Sundays. But any other day of the week. We're, We're good there. to go. Yeah. We're good to go. So UK election is tomorrow. This is a special special edition, edition of the show. Yeah. Um, you've got a nice, amazing guest. I'm going to get you to tee it up in a second. But what's the Boris Johnson ads that have been coming out have been getting, amazing. going viral? Of course, the uh, the uh, uh, the one uh, uh, that was based on Love Actually, where he's at the door with the cue cards. Uh, that has had I don't know how many millions of views. So whoever thought that one up is brilliant. The, the funniest one I saw wasn't a commercial, but was a picture. I guess is it Jeremy Corbyn? Was it be, would it be Jeremy Corbyn? Yeah, from he's, labor? he's a labor. Yeah, man. yeah. So Jeremy Corbyn. And Boris Johnson pouring beers. Did you see that one? Oh, I and saw that make, one. Yeah, make the right choice in the UK. <laughs> and, and, and Jeremy's just, got a head like foam. a foot, foot high of and, foam. And Boris is pouring the perfect beer. So <laughs> I thought that was classic. So, so there's anyway. a lot going on because uh, the UK general elections are tomorrow. They're going to be historic, uh, one way or the other. Obviously, Boris wants to quote hashtag Get Brexit Done. Uh, and that's been the focus of his campaign. And Jeremy Corbyn and Joe Swinson, who's the Liberal, Liberal Democrat, want to want to forestall that. So I, I had an opportunity to interview a British politician. Yeah, we sent you to Washington. We, we don't we don't right. spare any cost. I tell you, I yeah. got to stay at the Hilton. Right. So I tell I, you, this is uh... all me, bud. I made I <laughs> I put a call into our production team and I said, look, you get Tony the best place to stay. The so. be- well, the best would be the Trump Hotel, surely. To goodness, but, well, uh, we just want we can't go too controversial. Exactly, anyway. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the I was at something called the IDU Forum, the International Democrat Union, which is uh, an international body of right of center parties, political parties, and it is chaired by Stephen Harper, the former Prime Minister of Canada. And I was the former deputy chairman of this organization, so I know it well. I was down there at the conference. I was speaking on uh, on a tech panel, but it was a great opportunity to interview a couple of people. I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Eli Hazan, who is the international director of the Likud Party of Israel. That'll be coming up soon. That's coming up. But I also got to interview Daniel Hannan, uh, and uh, he is a member of the European Parliament, so he doesn't sit in, in the British Parliament, but he is a conservative member of the European Parliament, elected to the European Parliament, and he's pro-Brexit, uh, and he is, a, he is a conservative thinker. He writes prodigiously, and he is also someone who has thought about where Britain should be in the world after Brexit. He, he's been a big promoter of something called the Anglosphere. Uh, that's Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, USA working together on things to make the world a better place. So a uh, very interesting thinker, and it was a great to have an opportunity to talk to him for, I don't know, about 12 minutes or so about these kinds of issues, in particular in the context of the UK election. So here it is, Tony Clement with Daniel Hannan. Hannan? Hannan. 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 On And Another Thing. Welcome to And Another Thing podcast. I'm here in Washington, D.C. Uh, with Mr. Daniel Hannan, who is a member of the European Parliament. 
and is, of course, uh, a great British politician, a great friend of Canada and a friend of mine. Daniel, thank you for being on the it's show. It's a real pleasure to be here, Tony. I hope this will be my last interview as an MEP, because <laughs> if we win the election, Brexit will finally happen, and all of these postponements and... Which, you know, I don't know if you've ever had that thing where you've said farewell to someone in a kind of involved way, and it's gone on for a while, and then you find that you're walking in exactly the same direction, and it's kind of... Well, that, that's been me times 20 for the last year. I keep I on having farewell been, parties, yeah. finding jobs for my staff to go to, and then having to come back as Brexit is deferred again. <laughs> well, uh, I, my condolences that you're still a member of the European <laughs> Parliament then, we'll put it that way. Uh, but to, let's talk about British politics, because, of course, the election in, in Great Britain is happening on December 12th. Uh, give, us a, give us a state of the campaign for, uh, for the major parties. What's happening? Well, as we're talking here in D.C., the polls have the Conservatives nine or ten points ahead. But there are a number of important qualifiers. First of all, the, the constituency boundaries are not favourable to us. It basically takes many more votes to elect a Tory MP than a Labour MP. Not because there's any conspiracy, it's mainly just because these are very outdated boundaries. We're fighting on very old census data. Uh, and so the movement of people from cities to suburbs and the countryside is, is electorally unfavourable uh, to us. There's also the point that we need an absolute majority. You know, we need to win outright. We don't have and any the, the context parties. is we had basically a hung parliament uh, for the last couple of years, right. and it was uh, right. parliament was unable to grapple with. And the if we fall one short of a majority, I think there will be an attempt to get some kind of coalition of the losers together that will then put, you know, a, a, a well the price will be a Scottish referendum as well as another EU referendum. So you've got all of that. Plus, of course, the polls were badly wrong last time. They, they right. badly understated Labour's lead, and they particularly underestimated how many young voters would register and vote. And we've got quite a lot of evidence that large numbers of young people have registered this time. That's right, that uh, that there's uh, been an increase, a surge mm. oh, in you know, youth registrations. Which, of course, in itself is not a bad thing, but the, the preponderance of Corbynism among the under-25s is quite staggering. Uh, you know, like every electorate, we we see the same phenomenon throughout the democratic world. People tend to become more conservative as they become older, more property, parents, etc., etc. But we've never seen such a wide disparity as now. And, and I, there's a push to move the voting age down to 16, too. Of course, yeah. And, and why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, if if exactly. the kids are your uh, uh, the, the, the key part of your of your coalition. And I, I wonder whether this isn't, at least in part, because these are the voters who cannot remember actual socialism. So this, they can only judge worry. it as a textbook theory. They can't, you know, they don't remember a Europe where people were risking dogs and mines and guns to free from well, And maybe this is a thing, uh, you know, my generation or your generation, maybe we did a bad job in teaching them about why the fall of the Berlin Wall had to happen and, and why the Soviet Union and communist China killed millions well, of people. I mean, we have definitely done a bad job, if by that you mean who won the battle over the school curricula. Uh, I am astonished as a father of teenagers who are not at a, at a, a leftist school, but who have to teach to the, you know, a school that, that has to teach the public exams by the assumptions behind some of these papers. So, you know, geography is taught pretty much as a sort of Marxist subject. You know, the, the, the essence of, of, of most geography uh, teaching is evil Western companies are exploiting poor women in Vietnam, making them stitch sneakers all day and not paying them anything. You know, politics, again, is taught in a kind of anti-globalization, anti-capitalist way. And 
kids have to learn at a ridiculously young age to start disguising their real opinions. Right. You know, which I think is kind of sad. You know, I think when, when you're a teenager, you should still be able to think that the authorities are if impartial you, if you, and if disinterested. If you don't march in the climate emergency march, there's right. something wrong with you. Right, right, right. You, you, yeah. And, and you should be older before you get disillusioned. You know, you, the adulthood, <laughs> when you realize that the, the whole system is rigged, that, that's something you should, you should, you know, maybe maybe pick up in your 20s rather than have to deal with it. Yeah. Can I ask about, because uh, for, for Canadians, they may not be aware uh, about the radicalization of the Labour Party, mm. uh, an anti-Semitic party, yeah. uh, a party that is inherently racist, a party that is inherently authoritarian. I'm pre-asking about this, but, but it, it, is, it is a fact that it's no, you're, not you're the Labour Party right, of your parents no, you or grandparents. You are absolutely right. And, you know, it's one of those things that in every country, people think that the, the opposite party to theirs is much more extreme than anyone else acknowledges. But honestly, uh, Canada has been very lucky by global standards. It's avoided a lot of the populist anger that both the US and most of Europe have seen. And I mean, I, I, I was in Canada for your recent election, and I have to say, I, Canadians never believe me when I say this, but by any international standard, it was an incredibly polite, almost decorous campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you're absolutely right. The, the, the British Labour Party, until very recently, was distinguished from most European parties of the left in that it was never revolutionary. It was never Marxist. It was... It was know, patriotic. Yeah. Every Labour government was pro-NATO and, uh, you know, and, and pro-American. I just pro read a great biography of Clement Attlee. Right. Called Citizen Clem. Right. And it makes that point. Attlee was very... He was the deputy prime minister during the war and uh, he believed that uh, Britain had to defend itself. Right, right. And more widely, the party... It was never really about tearing things down. It was a party whose roots were in working men's libraries and brass bands and nonconformist churches and temperance movements. And, you know, its emphasis was on spreading, and it, indeed its, its greatest achievements, the, the, the great achievements of the British left, were the successful diffusion of power away from remote elites. This <laughs> Labour leadership is something we have not had before. This guy was on the other side in the Cold War. He never once regretted the downfall of the Soviet Union. He worked with Warsaw Pact governments when it mattered. And there has never been a quarrel where he hasn't backed the other side. So he was pro-IRA, pro-Hamas, pro-Hezbollah, obviously pro-Chavez and Castro and all that. In fact, even... Even when the Falklands War began, mm -hmm. you'd have thought if there was ever a regime that someone like Corbyn would have hated, it would have been a, a fascist military junta that tortured left-wing activists and threw trade union uh, you know, agitators out of helicopters. You'd have thought, that, no, the moment no. they go to war with us, he couldn't even bring himself to, to condemn them. And this is something outside our experience. And, and I just, you know, I, I, I struggle because I think we, we may lack the vocabulary adequately to express quite how radical and dangerous and shocking this is. And, and the, this anti-Semitism strain, which uh, they, yep. they, they, they resolutely refuse to believe is, is in them. Is Absolutely right. And again, something we have not had in Britain before. Yep. Of course we have had individual anti-Semites, just like every other country in the world has had. Right? But they have never before infiltrated one of our major parties. And this is, again, something that makes us very different from the vast majority of European countries. So this is, this is a new, unprecedented phenomenon, partly born out of the, uh, 
affiliation of the far left with the sort of Islamist, it's bizarre mesalliance of the ultra-conservative uh, jihadis with the, the, the secular left. Partly born out of this this odd kind of woke identity politics where everything is seen in terms of sort of pyramids of, of uh, oppression or advantage. And, uh, and if you see the world like that, you know, British Jews have done remarkably well, right. as in Canada, as right. you know. So, so you 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 slot them in to that pyramid as an oppressor group rather than an oppressed group because they're white and they're privileged and so on. And the, the result of all this is something that we have not seen in our late. You know, sure, we always had Trotskyist fringes in Britain, but they've sure. never before captured a party like this. Let's uh, let's end on a more positive note because, uh, of course, uh, you are uh, a, a very uh, uh, famed Brexiteer, but not just to tear down something, but to build right. something uh, up. And and you have a vision of what you call the Anglosphere. Yes, I can't uh, claim authorship of the word, but yeah, the idea that common law and majority English-speaking countries who share a heritage going back through the Glorious Revolution to Magna Carta that have free contract and private property and, and open Rule markets. of law. Right, that we are a natural common market and, and geopolitical bloc. I'm very hopeful that almost immediately after Brexit takes effect, if we win this election, there will be deep and comprehensive free trade agreements in place with Australia and New Zealand, I think also probably with Singapore, and we will negotiate with the US, and I'm actually quite optimistic. Mm, good. Here, I think the uh, this administration in Washington wants to do a deal within a year, yes. if it can. The outlier, weirdly, is Canada. Uh, Canada lost interest, really, or the, the Trudeau government lost interest when it became clear that Britain was going to cut its tariffs unilaterally anyway, which, of course, is always the right thing for a country right, to do. Right. Uh, I don't know whether this is... Um, just sort of uh, captured by the permanent officials, which happens in your country as in mine as everywhere else, or whether there is a, a distaste um, uh, with Trudeau and some of the Liberals for the whole concept of, of a union of English-speaking peoples because it's seen as kind of you know, nostalgic or racist or imperialist or whatever. I, I don't know. But the, the result is that um, Britain is going to be going ahead I think making a lot of quite deep FTAs, including with the CPTPP, I think it's, it's pretty clear that we're right. aspiring to join the Pacific. That, that, that's the Pacific Rim uh, The Pacific Rim block. party, which, which uh, Trudeau has been a bit sort of desultory about, but Canada mm -hmm. is still a member. Now, of course, you, you might... Uh, you might say it's ridiculous for Britain to join a Pacific uh, bloc since we are not a Pacific country, except in the technical sense that we do own the Pitcairn Islands. So <laughs> there we, we go. Have, so we do actually just get, but of course, we have exceptionally close links of with course, a number of, like, historically, know, not, not just Australia, New Zealand and, and Canada, but also, you know, Singapore and, and Malaysia and so on. So it's a, it's a very natural place for us to be. Um, and I, I just hope that the Canadian Liberals re-examine where the geopolitical interests of, of Canada... Canada has become a much more Pacific country yes. in terms of population shift, in terms of migration, uh, and in terms of where the wealth is, right? The, right the, 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 in, in common with the US, it has seen a shift of money and people from the Atlantic to the Pacific coast, Indeed. and that is something we can expect to continue. The action is, is really on that side. We've had unbelievable growth stories 
around the Pacific Rim. And it would be a, a logical thing to emphasize that aspect of, of development. And I, you know, I just, I think it's a pity because when, you know, the, the government that you were in, the, the, the Harper government took Canada from five to 55 free trade agreements, or I think technically from five to 55 countries, because right, some of them right. are more than one right. country in a, in a trade agreement. Uh, and that has really stalled. It's really stalled. There's, there's been no, and you know, the, the, the extraordinary growth rates that Canada enjoyed under the Tory government, the, the, the one G7 country to come through the crash without a crash, that was not unrelated to those yeah. trade deals. Yeah. You know, pe people shouldn't take this for granted. So even a even a large country like Canada or a large country like Britain, we are still made much wealthier when we open our economy to the world. Well, Daniel Hannon, uh, thank you for being on our podcast and another thing, which is found on iTunes and Spotify and all the usual places. And uh, always a great pleasure to see you. My I friend. look forward to having you on again, uh, maybe post election. Fantastic. We'll see what, when the dust settles. Fantastic. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Excellent interview, Tony. You yeah, did a, you did a great job. Well, I, I didn't have you by my side, but hey, somehow I got through it. You know what? I don't think you need me holding your hand anymore. <laughs> okay, I think I'm you're, ready to fly. I think you're ready to, fly out of the nest. Push you out of the nest. <laughs> I think you're ready to go. So anyway, we have some amazing guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. Tony's got some great and and other things. And I just noticed, are you wearing, what cufflinks are those? These are my Santa oh my Claus gosh. cufflinks. Come you on. Have the, the, you have like, <laughs> oh my gosh. You're just all about the festive spirit, which exactly, is very nice. Yeah. So anyway, we will, uh, don't forget to subscribe, all our social media platforms. Please do. And uh, we will talk soon. Enjoy the rest of your week. London calling through the faraway towns. Now war is declared.